This podcast is brought to you by Label Sessions, the global platform that connects you to the best advice from the most interesting people. In this exclusive series, entrepreneur and creative leader Andy Norman takes us through his views on creativity, curiosity, and guts. To find out more about Andy, listen to the Q&A listed in the show notes. To find out more about Label Sessions, visit labelsessions.com. Welcome to the CC&G Zoo and the episode about curiosity. Now, before you get triggered and complain to PETA, don't worry. No animals were harmed in the making of this podcast. Better still, the animals in this zoo are spirit animals. For those of you not familiar with the concept of spirit animals, here's an explanation from an expert on the subject named Emma Milden, who describes herself as a millennial activist, co-host of the 1111 podcast, and the best-selling author of Evolution of Goddess and the Soul Searcher's Handbook. But I digress. She says, In the Native American tradition, spirit animals are an embodied form of a spiritual guide. Spiritual guides can present themselves to us whatever way we are willing to see them, and it is natural for people to connect with theirs through the face of a familiar animal. Your animal guide hold a particular quality that could help you navigate life with a bit more ease, faith, and confidence. <laughs> Sounds good to me. So without any further ado, please open your mind to the world of mindfulness and welcome to the CCNG stage, this podcast, Spirit Animals, the Fox and the Hedgehog. Why these two? Let's turn to another author, namely Yale professor Craig Wright, who, in his much-heralded book called The Hidden Habits of Genius, explains. We all know Aesop's fable The Tortoise and the Hare, in which a hare begins with a natural advantage but fails to live up to his potential. But Aesop has another, lesser-known parable called The Fox and the Hedgehog, the point of which is this. The fox knows many small things, while the hedgehog knows one big thing. As the restless fox roots about exploring a multitude of possibilities, the immobile hedgehog rolls himself up in a single, big idea. The story suggests two contrasting cognitive styles. Foxes have different strategies for different problems, they are curious and comfortable with nuance, and they can live with contradictions. Hedgehogs, on the other hand, focus on one big problem, and they reduce it to a quest for a single, overarching solution. Professor Wright goes one step further and dismisses the hedgehog's corporate potential by entitling the ninth chapter of his book, Be the Fox. Quite the diss. While the debate on the value of generalists versus specialists runs rampant these days, for the purposes of this podcast, Professor Wright's suggestion is bang on appropriate. A long, long time ago, way back in CCNG episode number three, we looked at some perfunctory steps on how to be creative. But steps taken alone are irrelevant and impotent. It's not enough to simply know the steps. You need to get out on the dance floor and take them. More importantly, you need to find different floors to dance on. And why just floors? Why not tables, walls, ceilings, glass globes, or even waterfalls? Yeah, why not? You need a one-word push. And the key descriptor Professor Wright uses for his fox, the reason that the sly critter is our spirit animal of destiny, is the word curious. 
That's your push. Curiosity is the fuel that drives not only creativity, but your progress. Without it, you're lame and limited in your ideas, in your career, and frankly, in your life. Why it's so crucial, it occupies the middle slice, the protein portion of the CCNG course titled Sandwich. And speaking about curiosity, here's a meta example for you. So I wanted to learn more about Aesop's spirit animal inspiring fable and see if there would be more details about the inquisitiveness of our friend, the fox. So I did some research and this is what I discovered. Right, had it wrong. He had it wrong to explain. Just listen to Aesop's fable in its entirety. The Fox and the Hedgehog. A fox swimming across a river was barely able to reach the bank where he lay bruised and exhausted from his struggle with the swift current. Soon a swarm of blood-sucking flies settled on him, but he lay quietly, still too weak to run away from them. A hedgehog happened by. Let me drive the flies away, he said kindly. No, no, exclaimed the fox. Do not disturb them. They have taken all they can hold. If you drive them away, another greedy swarm will come and take the little blood I have left. The moral of the story. Better to bear a lesser evil than to risk a greater in removing it. Whoa, 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 hold on a second. What? This has nothing at all to do with Professor Wright's explanation of the two archetypes. What drugs was he on when he wrote this book? It was actually the ancient Greek poet Archiochus. He actually sounds Jewish. It was Archiochus who coined the phrase, the fox knows many things, but the hedgehog knows one big thing. Archiochus's fox was the wise one. Aesop's fox was a victim, passive and laissez-faire, about as curious as a marshmallow. In fact, it was the hedgehog who showed the only signs of curiosity in Aesop's fable, and a scant modicum of that, by offering to help instead of ignoring the ailing fox. Phew, good thing I checked. And perhaps that's the key element of curiosity, going further. It's like a lesson I try and teach my students at McGill. I draw a line on the whiteboard. At one end, I write the word problem. At the other, I write the word solution. And I ask them, in the journey of finding the answer, where do you stop? Most of them say solution. And they're puzzled when I cry out, wrong, because the answer is not the solution. They're stopping too soon. Just when you think you're done, when you think you've reached the end of the line, that's when you take one more step, at least one more. The end of the line is where curiosity starts. I could have just accepted Professor Wright's Fox and the Hedgehog story as gospel, but I didn't. And look what I learned. Anyway, the fox and the newly legitimized hedgehog are just two spirit animals in the CCNG Curiosity Zoo. Here are a few others. Number one, a dead cat. Why a dead cat? Oh, come on now. Everyone knows that curiosity killed the cat. Number two, Curious George. The namesake of curious spirit animals everywhere, this children's book franchise favorite and best buddy to the man with the yellow hat has an amazing backstory. His creators, Hans and Margaret Ray, were German Jews escaping the Nazi occupation of Paris in June of 1940. Their cute little simian creation reflects their wonderment of a new environment once they landed in America and their utopian vision of life ahead. 
In all of the Ray's Curious George stories, physical peril is a constant companion to curiosity. George floods a house, gets carried off by a kite, George breaks a leg, crashes on a bike. But the other constant is the reliably happy ending of every story. Google or ChatGPT the full story, you won't be disappointed. Number three. Little Livy. You won't know her, but little Livy Nolman is my three-year-old granddaughter. I know what you're thinking. I don't sound old enough to have a granddaughter, but I do. And seeing the world from her vantage point as she's growing up has been an astonishing journey, one where everything is amazing and new and special and wow. She embodies one of the last episode's main themes, namely the eye-opening perspective of virgin contact lenses. And her childlike reactions, well, like she is a child, will be revisited in the Neotony episode of this podcast later on. Hold on, um, Livy's a human. My son and daughter-in-law would kill me if I kept her in any zoo, spirit or not, so let's move on. Yeah, let's move on with today's statement of the day, which is... Life is a black box. Life is a black box. So, so what do I mean by that? Well, you can go through life passively, just letting things happen to you, or... You can try to make things happen via a lust for learning, a passion to know, uh, what can I discover next? In other words, you can be curious. Seth Goldenberg is a guy I know, a modern Renaissance man who literally wrote the book on curiosity. It's called Radical Curiosity, questioning commonly held beliefs to imagine flourishing futures. That is quite the title. In his book, he describes curiosity as the insatiable desire to interrogate the unknown. Interrogate the unknown. I love the importance of that. And for good reason. Curiosity is not frivolous. It's not frivolous. It's a key tool to manifest your destiny. Back to Goldenberg, who says, We assert agency over our future only when we challenge what is known. In casual conversation, we hear platitudes like, ideas are a dime a dozen. On the other hand, a bias for action or a reputation for being an action-oriented leader is worn like a badge of honor. These are all indications of how society has come to devalue questioning and overvalue doing. As an example, consider the Weizmann Institute of Science in Israel, a multidisciplinary research university with around 3,800 scientists, postdoctoral fellows, PhD and MSc students and staff. Perhaps the reason for its many discoveries, Nobel laureates and Turing Prize winners is how curiosity is embedded in its DNA. Professor Daniel Zeifman, Weizmann's former president, explains the process. At the Weizmann Institute, we first find the best scientists and then ask them what they want to research. Patents and applications are never mentioned, but we give prospective students an exam, asking them about something we're sure they have never studied. There are those who tell us they haven't learned that subject, and then there are those whose curiosity is aroused. The ones who start trying to figure it out are the ones that we want. Over to Goldenberg one more time to drive it home. Radical curiosity is what allows us to experience the joy and the wonder of bringing absurd impossibilities to fruition. These are radical acts of optimism. A personal note for a second, I've always been curious, and not just for curiosity's process, but for the learning outcome. In fact, I used to blog about one of my obsessions, namely making it a point to learn something new each and every week. And when I ran my mobile company called Airborne Entertainment, we used to have these quasi-talk shows with new employees 
who would be interviewed in front of the rest of the staff. The amazing stories they told and the way people related to them made for a much more open and close-knit working environment. You wouldn't believe the things we learned, including that one of our employees once worked for the KGB. Uh, we stopped the questioning then, didn't want the curiosity to get too radical. But the reason to be curious in business is not just for the output of learning, it's also a self-improvement device. Being curious makes you well-rounded, just like our hedgehog spirit animal, and ultimately this well-roundedness makes you a better entrepreneur, a better boss, employee, better coworker, and better podcast host. Legendary psychologists and authors Daniel Kahneman and Philip Tetlock agree. Both of them have pointed out that narrowly focused experts, no matter how famous, do less well than wide-ranging generalists when it comes to predicting the future and solving the problems of tomorrow. So that's the why to do it. How about the how to do it? Well, it's simple, yet tough as hell. On the duh, that's kind of obvious level, you can read books and websites, click Google or prompt ChatGPT, watch YouTube and other videos, take courses or talk and listen to people outside your immediate circle. Then there's the next level of really opening yourselves up to the new and unfamiliar. To explain, first, a final quote from Seth Goldenberg, who I guess we can crown the Confucius of curiosity. He says, Radical curiosity is fueled by awe, rather than fear, of the unknown. Next, a trio of personal examples. Number one! Oh, please, not, not again. You don't have to do it every time I mention a number. Anyway, during COVID, for, for some reason, I took an online workshop with Alex Brightman, who was the star of the musical Beetlejuice on Broadway. His workshop was called how to enter a room. It, it was made for theater professionals or those studying theater, and it was primarily about how to behave in an audition setting. I had no auditions, but I was intrigued by the title and figured it may help me in business. So yeah, I was the proverbial fish out of water, but I still took away some valuable lessons that I use to this very day, including enunciate clearly, especially on podcasts. The next example was my jogging routine back in the days when my knees allowed me to run outdoors. Whenever I traveled to another city, which was really kind of often, I would try to discover it via a one-hour run. The hotel concierges everywhere would try to provide me with a runner's map, you know, the ones with predetermined paths of various lengths. But I would just take off from the front door, and as I would describe it, I would run on the greens, meaning avoiding stopping at any reds and following wherever the green lights would take me. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes the greens took me to some very dark places, but it was never boring, and I ultimately discovered places I would have never, ever, ever seen otherwise. Where do I go? Follow the river. Where do I go? Follow the God. Finally, when I used to go to trade shows, most of them were dominated by giants of industry who took prime positions with displays and booths that were massive, both in size and expense. But for the really interesting stuff, the things that would truly shape tomorrow, I would buzz around the fringes, namely the out-of-the-way aisles of cheaply designed tables near the bathrooms or snack counters. 
That's where the cool kids were and where the new ideas were hanging out. Being curious is not for the lazy. It takes initiative and tenacity. One of my favorite curiosity destinations is Six Links Worthy of Your Attention. This is a blog post by three brilliant guys, Mitch Joel, Alistair Kroll, and Hugh McGuire, where they share links they feel the others must see. As per my point about tenacity, they've been putting this out every single week for over 12 years. So if all this inspires you, here's a curiosity exercise you can do right now. This idea came to me after reading the book Exceptional by Joe Navarro, former special agent for the FBI. One of my favorite chapters in it was the one on observation, where he gave tips on how to know someone's story just by focused looking at them. I still do this. I look at people in restaurants, on the subway, just walking down the street and try and figure out their story. I may be completely off base, but it's a great exercise to build a curious brain. In fact, it's such a great exercise that I replicated in my McGill MBA class. I show my students random images of people in different situations and then ask them to explain, okay, what's really going on? Now, since this is a purely audio experience, I can't show pictures on this podcast, but I can play sounds. So tell me, what is this sound? <laughs> it's the sound of this episode coming to an end. Ta-da! Before I go, if you've dug what you've heard or if you hated it, let me know at Label Sessions on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, or LinkedIn. And although I know I shouldn't, I will read every comment and promise to respond to those without spelling, grammar, punctuation, or other such nagging errors. So until next episode, CCNG, you later! This podcast is brought to you by Label Sessions global platform that connects you to the best advice from the most interesting people. Around the world, we work with brands to connect their people to true leaders, just like the people you hear on this podcast, for live sessions of advice, mentorship, or sometimes to collaborate on ideas. To find out more, visit labelsessions.com and book in for a demo with our team.